Welcome to Desert Island Disc, Marilyn Skinner. You told me there's no title <laughs> to me. It can be Mama Marilyn, it can be Auntie Marilyn, <laughs> whatever. Um, I, I asked your husband, do you have a middle name? I do. It's Lee. Lee. Yeah, people Marilyn. say, are you Chinese? But no, I'm not Lee. <laughs> Marilyn Lee Skinner. That's right. Yeah. Um, how are you? I am very good. Yeah. You had a what, sore throat? I or? did. I've had flu for the last two weeks, but... Yeah in the final stages now so all is good 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 <laughs> you before you we spoke to your husband who sang your praises oh my goodness yeah he even <laughs> said to be honest in his life you probably carried 80 percent of the effort <laughs> and the credit and he takes 20 percent i said we'll we'll find out <laughs> we want to get to know you because one of the things he said is that your sort of life's purpose has been to support him Side by side. I said, oh, interesting. I'll probably find out she probably had her dreams and just <laughs> put them aside. <laughs> but let's start off with anywhere in your childhood. Go there, take us there, and let's start your story from there. Okay. Well, I'm 67 years old right now. Wow. Yeah. And I'm bracing every wrinkle that I have. Where? Which wrinkle? All of them. <laughs> Some of my friends are like, aren't you going to go for Botox? I'm like, why would I do that? I worked hard for these wrinkles. Good. I earned them, so I'm going to embrace them. But yeah. I was blessed with a very beautiful childhood. Mm. I was raised in a loving family. My parents were pastors. My grandparents were pastors. I was basically raised by my grandmother. Her husband died when I was just a little baby. Mm-hmm. I was about maybe eight months old. And she was she just loved her husband. She adored him. She was 50, It was an arranged marriage, if you can believe it. Back in Canada, really? marriages were arranged. She was married in 1910, and it was an arranged marriage. He was 15 years older than her, mm-hmm. but she just loved him. But the day he died, mm-hmm. she held me in her arms, and she told me this, all the love I would have given to my husband, I'm going to give to this little baby. So I feel like I'm probably the most blessed person in the <laughs> entire world to have a grandmother who yeah. loved her so much. Mm-hmm. How many siblings? I have two siblings, but they're much younger than me. I was 12 when they were born. They were flower girls in my wedding. (laughs) What? (laughs) Much, much younger. Much, much younger. So in all honesty, I hardly know them Mm. because by the time I'd left home, my sister hadn't even started grade one. Oh, wow. (laughs) So it's your parents and your grandparents really who raised you. Those were the influences. Yeah. I, I mean, I need to know because for us here, if you say you're born and your parents are pastors, your grandparents are pastors, we have a different notion of what that would look I like know, growing yes. up. It must have been different though for you. It was very different. You know, my, my parents and my grandparents were just simple, humble, ordinary people mm-hmm. who loved Jesus with all their heart and who loved their family. You know, sometimes when people look at pastors, they think they're something that they're really not. We're just <laughs> ordinary people. Yeah. And and what, in, in childhood, I mean, did you understand your relationship with God or with Jesus to be? Well, you know, I was six years old when I realized that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. In my six-year-old little mind, I realized that I needed a Savior. Okay. And so I gave my heart to Jesus I can still remember the day when I was six years old, and I can say for the last 62, Mm -hmm. is that, 61 years, I've loved him every moment. Wow. (laughs) Uh, You exude love, so I can understand when you say you were born in a very loving family, but was there an unspoken rule of, but this is what we do, we serve, we, we, you know, we, we... 
tell the world, you know, the message of God, and that's just what you're going to do. There was never un any unspoken rule that, you know, because I'm a pastor, you have to be a pastor. Yeah. Because your grandmother was a pastor, you have, to, you have to There was do. never any unspoken rule at all, mm -hmm. but there was an unspoken rule mm -hmm. that you love the Lord your God with oh. all your heart, all your soul, <laughs> all your mind, and all your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was those two things that really shaped who I am and what I became, mm -hmm. a love for God and a love for my neighbor. Did you love school? No. <laughs> Did I love school? Okay. You want you want to go on a little story of school? Yeah. I actually never finished school. Oh. I never finished high school. I only went to S3. Mm -hmm. I um I never did well in school. I wasn't, if I had been raised in Uganda, I would have been one of those students who, you know, didn't get to go to S5 or S6. You had oh, wow. to go to a trade or a vocational mm. school. I, that just wasn't my gifting in life. I was musical, oh. and I took piano lessons from when I was three years old up till when I was 18 years old. And mm. it was actually quite complicated. The piano was classical music, so I had to do theory and things mm -hmm. like that, write exams. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to school, the best part of school mm -hmm. was my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Did you make plenty of friends? I had lots of friends, mm. yes. <laughs> well, and, and because I, right now I could judge and say you were the bubbly, happy, <laughs> friends to everyone type of child in school. Were you? I think maybe I was. You know, my parents were very wise. Okay. They, uh, they opened their home to my friends. Mm -hmm. They never told me that I couldn't go stay at my other friends for sleepovers, but they mm -hmm. always made our home open and always said, if you want to bring your friends as many as you want on the weekend, so it would be nothing for me to have eight, nine, ten girlfriends over wow. to my house every single weekend mm -hmm. just to have fun and have sleepovers and whatever. Wow. So, yeah, I had lots of friends. Oh, wow, interesting. So, you, you even say S3 as if you were really raised in Uganda. But yeah, that's how it's we term it. Yes, yeah, that's how we 11. term it. So, you loved piano because you said I music. I did. So, yeah. it, was, it was piano you were gravitating towards was, or every yeah. aspect of music? It was every aspect of music, mm -hmm. really. Was there anyone musical in the family? Yeah, my parents were both musical. Ah. And, and let me understand this because even speaking to... Uh, Pastor Gary, that, that sort of seemed intertwined that when you're in this sort of service in church, you're also gravitating towards music. Yeah. Does it come together? You know, we actually, if we actually met in a music group. He probably yeah. told you yeah, all in of a that. band. Uh, in a rock <laughs> band. Can you imagine we were rockers? <laughs> what actually happened was um, there was this man, he had a big truck. He was an evangelist, you know, like these people you see, see preaching on the street, only right. not quite like that. And he had a big truck, the sidewall folded down into a platform, oh. and he was going to go to beaches, parks, oh. prisons, tourist areas, put his truck down and let this rock band play their music, and then he would preach. Well, he was a friend of my father's. I was very young. I was, I was only 16. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so he had all of the rest of the band picked out, mm. but he wanted me to come be the keyboard player. So he asked my dad if I could go when I was 16 for a summer, just two months. Mm -hmm. And so when I went on that rock band, that's where I met Gary because he was the lead guitar player and the oh. main singer. Was everyone just picked out for each role? They were all in college, and they had to sort of like audition for it, oh, okay. I think. He, you this did. guy went, no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. And, I didn't. So he told his version of the story, and in his version of the story, you winked. Ah, ah we don't believe that, do we? <laughs> no. You know, this, this group was together for just a summer. It was like oh. a summer outreach. Mm. And then 
it was very, very successful. It was during the hippie days mm. when drugs were just I, I coming, LSD, yeah. and you know, people, my friends, some of them were just starting to experiment with heroin, things like that. And so this guy wanted to go and really help these drug addicts. Yeah. And so we saw many, many, many thousands of young people's lives transformed as a result of the endeavor. Then the man decided, the evangelist decided he wanted to put this group together full time. And so everybody went back to finish their college. They were all graduating in a year, but I was still in high school. I was only yeah. going back to S11. But I really felt that God wanted me to do that. Wow. So I went to my dad one day. I had the best dad in the whole world, seriously. I went to my dad and I said, Daddy, God has called me to go and to, to be a preacher to the prostitutes and to the drug addicts. And I thought at he would 16? be at 16. Oh my. I thought he'd be very, very excited. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he said, well, that's really great, Marilyn. I'm so glad that you want to you know, be in the ministry, mm -hmm. but you can't go until you give me a high school certificate. Oh. And so I would have never disobeyed my father. Mm -hmm. I, I just, that was just who I was. If my father said, don't do it, I didn't do, I it. Didn't do it. And yeah. so... I had a little conversation with God one day. I'm like, God, you have to help me graduate from high school this year I because I this. need to go on this team. <laughs> and so one day I was practicing my piano and I remembered that I had certificates that said University of Toronto on them for my music, for exams that I'd taken. <laughs> so without my parents knowing, I collected all my certificates. Mm -hmm. I took them to my school. I asked my headmaster, Sir, are these worth anything towards a high school diploma? Mm -hmm. And he wrote the Ministry of Education, wrote me back and said, you know what, you've already finished high school wow. with these diplomas that you have. So I was able to give my dad a high school diploma with only ever going to grade 11. Wow. And joy. he couldn't t then tell me, no, you can't go because he'd already he told me. He didn't ask for how it would happen. He yeah. just asked for... So Gary was back. He was on that team. Uh -huh. And in all honesty, I never felt any physical attraction no, to him no fireworks no, no sports. you know he mm. was you know guitar players and lead <laughs> singers in bands right all the girls are oh, oh everywhere you go i'm like i'm not going to be a statistic that is not going to Great. be me so don't you dare believe that i winked at him mm, I, I didn't believe it but he sounded so sure yeah he winked. what really happened was one day and he'd never asked me out on a date we'd never done anything one day after our meeting was all over we were having pizza in a church and he looked at me and he said, Marilyn, can you stay behind for a minute? Did he tell you this part of the no. story? No. Okay, he said, can you stay behind for a minute? So I stayed behind after everybody had gone. And he said, I want you to know that I love you. Oh. I looked at him and I said, get behind me, Satan, right now. <laughs> I rebuke you. <laughs> That's what I said. I rebuke you. And he's like, Whoa. no, I've never told a girl that before. But we're going away for our Christmas break. And I want you to go and pray. And I want you to ask Jesus Am I the one for you? I'm 17 years <laughs> old. I've never brought a boyfriend home to my house before in my life. So anyways, I go home to my parents' house on our Christmas break, and I was praying. And, you know, I believe Jesus still speaks to people today. Yeah. I believe the Holy Spirit still speaks to people today. And I really felt Jesus say to me, he's the one for you, mm. and you are going to help him be everything that I want him to be. Wow. And so... <laughs> Wow. I said yes without ever having gone on a date with him. <laughs> wow. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Now, yes. <laughs> Probably then it didn't make sense to you. What's your first song choice? My first song choice is All to Jesus, I Surrender. Mm. I Surrender All. All to Jesus. Nice. Still good to go? 
Desert Island disc that I have <laughs> Marilyn or Auntie Marilyn. Now I'm going to just get that Marilyn Skinner. <laughs> and that's, as you can hear from last, uh, the last story um, of Pastor Gary and her story, women always tell the truth. So a <laughs> <laughs> version of events is the right one. Um, I'm surprised because even when you said a lot of my friends were, you know, experimenting with heroin and doing all sorts of things, typically teenagers are going through all sorts of you know growth spurts and the influences of what around them how did you survive that how did you just gravitate towards the good side if i could even call it that well you know i believe having good healthy influences in your life mm -hmm. is a major contributing force i believe having a, a an open relationship with your parents where you can talk openly and freely with them that really helps I think that knowing that someone else loves you, cares about you, wants the best for you, really helps. You know, sadly today, doesn't matter where you're raised in the world, there's so many teenagers that don't have a healthy home life. A support where, uh, Yeah, where they get that kind of support from their parents. So I would encourage every parent that is listening to this radio show, be a support base for your parents, mm -hmm. for your children. You know, my parents were never... I do this, don't do this. Mm. It was, I always was showing the reason that every choice has a consequence. Mm. And so my parents taught me to make good choices in life. Mm. And if you, make, if you make a bad choice, you know what, we will be there for you, but you will suffer the consequences and we can't take those consequences away. Mm. And so in all honesty, I never really had a desire to experiment with the alcohol. Mm -hmm. I mean, kids were going to the dances, the parties, they were being so drunk, then they'd brag about it on Monday. You know, I had several girlfriends mm -hmm. that got pregnant when they're 14, 15 years old, and they're left with the consequences. Yeah. They had to raise a child. But I think that my, my passion for Jesus and my desire to please Him as I wanted to please my parents kept me on a uh, path, right from, path so that when temptations came I didn't really have a desire mm. so here's a young man who's telling you um, go pray about it but I think this is it this is you and I <laughs> and you do go pray about it and you hear clearly that yeah. he is the one but at 17 you're not doing much about it are you not too much but I was <laughs> married six months later just after what? my 18th birthday oh, my word you know um, I was never attracted to young men for their personality, okay. for what they had in life, for their mm -hmm. status. My desire for when I was little was, Lord, I want to be, I want to meet a man who loves you more than I love you okay. and who only wants to please you and honor you. That's the kind of man I want. So I had a vision mm -hmm. in my mind of what kind of young man I would get into a relationship with. It wasn't that other people didn't want to be in a relationship with me. They okay. did. But, <laughs> but I needed to see that passion for Christ and the passion for the pur His purposes in their life. And that's what I saw in Gary. At 18, you got married. I was married at 18. Wow. Uh, he was much older. He right? was three years older. He was oh, 21. Oh, well. So we were still young. Yes. Was that easy? I mean, I'm, I'm, I got married relatively late. <laughs> and I, I still think it's hard. You know, there's pros and cons to both. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it all depends on your character and what okay. you're like. But, you know... I'm not a great advocate for getting married later in life okay. because I think you can be set in your ways yeah. 
and yes. then it's very it's hard, hard to, change. to change something that you've had. <laughs> That's true. But also, if you get married in life and it, young in life, then mm -hmm. it's not the right person. You're just headed for a road of disaster. Mm. The important is, is there a right age? I'm not going to say there's a right or a wrong age. Right. You know when the right age is? Is when you meet Mr. Right. Oh. Mm -hmm. But don't marry for money. Don't marry for what he has. Don't marry for status. Marry for his heart, for his character. Mm-hmm. So he, he, you know, he, the story then if you're 18 getting married, most of his, not even a dream, a calling to then serve God and serve God here in Uganda, I think had sort of molded at that point. Yes. And I get that you are a support system and you have been for all these years, but how were, how were those first conversations of that this is what I have to do, this is what God wants me to do? Well, before he asked me to marry him, he said, I really feel God wants me to go to Africa. Would you be willing to go to Africa? Right. What a proposal. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that? Wow. <laughs> and you know what? I think that has contributed to having a healthy marriage. We've been married almost 50 years yeah. because we both had the same focus, the same purpose, the same motivation in life. So I knew what I was getting into before I married From him. From the start, yeah. And, and you were okay with that. It's what you wanted to do. Yeah. Anyway. I, you know, I wanted to serve Jesus. I re We'll get to my another mm. song later, and I'll tell you more yeah. about the other wow. song later. So, so by the time he was coming to Uganda, he says, you know, you and the the kids were not here. So he came to see how the situation yeah. was and related back to you and said, Uganda isn't a bit of roses. <laughs> War has ravaged <laughs> the country. There's a lot to develop, a lot to do. But you were still willing to come. Did you in your mind have a picture of what? you know, the next steps would look like, how would build this dream, especially because as a support system of notice, especially with men, if you're a woman who's building that dream for, because he said you're a doer. Yeah. He dreams and you do. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but doing involves a lot of, you know, details. It does. How do you even put details together in such a situation? Well, you know, we had lived in Zambia for four years mm. before we moved here. And it was while we were in Zambia that God really called him to Uganda. And I remember watching the news one day and Idi Amin was just being chased out of the country and they had a bunch of nuns down at Clock Tower and they like opened fire on them. They just like massacred them down at Clock Tower. So that was kind of the picture that I had in my mind of what Uganda was like. Mm. And so when Gary said, I feel God has called me to Uganda, I actually, he wants us to go start an English speaking church downtown in the heart of the city. And through that church, I'll touch the city, I'll touch the nation. The truth of the matter is, is I had already surrendered everything that I had to Jesus, to his will, to his way. That's why I said my favorite song, my first favorite song, all to Jesus I surrender. I surrender all. So had I not already surrendered the plans, the purposes, the dreams that I had for my own life, I would have never been able to do this. Because in all honesty, Uganda was much worse than I could have ever oh, when you imagined got here. when we got here. Yeah. What, okay, I mean, there were yeah. lots of surprises, I'm sure. <laughs> but what were some of the things that really surprised you when you got on ground? Um, well, there were no planes that flew into Uganda. Mm -hmm. So we had to fly into Nairobi, and somebody drove us from Nairobi mm -hmm. up to Mbali, actually. And as soon as we crossed the border, it was very different from Kenya. I think the thing that shocked me most was the look of hopelessness and desperation in the eyes of the people. You know, they say your eyes are a window to your soul. Yes. And everywhere I looked, I did not see hope. Mm -hmm. Everywhere I looked, I only saw hopelessness. And you know, hopelessness is when you don't think that there can ever be anything better than what you have yes. right now. You've lost all hope You've for a better up. future. Mm. I mean, 
Shoes were a luxury. Most people didn't have shoes on. Underwear was a luxury. Sugar, salt, rice. You couldn't buy even toilet paper in Uganda when we first moved here. The potholes on the road were absolutely terrible. Worse than today? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Going from Mbali to Kampala, you drove mostly on the shoulder. Potholes were so deep that, I mean, children could be swimming in them. That's how bad they were. Wow. Vultures sitting on the lampposts. You know, wild dogs, literally, I'm not exaggerating, roaming the streets at night, eating on dead flesh mm. from people that had been killed the night before. And so some missionaries drove us from Nairobi up to Mbali and then from Mbali to here. And they had found a house for us to rent. Okay. And so they dropped us off in this house and then they left. They just left us standing there. We had nothing. We had Because you didn't even have friends. We here. didn't know anybody here. <laughs> yeah. we, did, we knew nobody. We had... I had brought like four little camping plates in my suitcase <laughs> and a little stove that you would use. Like if you go camping, that was it. And so I was quite traumatized. We go into this house. The grass was up to my waist. It was just totally not maintained. Goats had been kept in one bedroom. I got like six bags of cockroaches out of the kitchen. But we get into our house and Gary said, I got to go down and see if I can find us something to eat for supper because we had little kids, four, six, yes. and eight. And I was seriously traumatized, and I didn't want Gary to see that I was I was about to say, was there a point where you complained? Not to him. Okay. But I did complain. He went out of the house to go down to Kinsanga Market to get some food, and I fell to the floor. Mm. It was this cold cement floor, and I just started crying, and I said, God, I cannot make it in this place. Mm. I'm sorry to say this, but I said, you've brought me to hell, and I will not survive here. Yeah. That's what it was like. I mean, people were shooting, and it was awful. I said, God, I cannot survive here. Mm -hmm. You Give me a sign, Lord, that you're going to be with me. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, go get your gift. Mm -hmm. And what had happened was the day we left to come to Uganda, an old lady escorted us to the airport, mm -hmm. and she gave me a gift. I put it in my suitcase. I never unwrapped it. I went to my suitcase. I opened the gift, and it was a plaque. And that plaque said, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Mm -hmm. And I felt that God was saying to me, this is his love letter that he sent from mm -hmm. heaven and dropped it down to earth. It might have been a brick that came right out of heaven. <laughs> and it said, my will would not have brought you here if my grace keep you. could not keep you here. Mm. So I had to make a choice. Am I going to allow the grace of God to help me fulfill mm -hmm. what I believe is my divine destiny in life, or am I going to walk away from it? Mm -hmm. And you know what? I could have done anything then, and I'm not going to say either would have been right or wrong. Right. You know? But I thought, you know what, God? If you could send me that letter, your grace is going to keep me here. Now, Marilyn, I understand you. I understand, Gary, your adults, one. Two, you're surrendered to God, as you've described it. The kids? Yeah. That as was a parent, I can <laughs> imagine I can't explain much to my two-year-olds. It was very difficult. You know, before I came to Uganda, I was reading in my Bible. It was in Luke. I like the way the Message Bible puts it. It's mm -hmm. a lot easier to, it's a lot more palatable than the King James <laughs> Version. Yeah. And in the King James Version, it says, you know, it's talking about the difference between a follower of Jesus mm -hmm. or a disciple of Jesus. Okay. And there is a very big difference. Mm -hmm. Okay. A follower and a, and disciple. a disciple. To be a follower, mm -hmm. all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you're a follower. But to be a disciple, mm -hmm. you have to take the things that are dearest and best to you, whether plans or people, mm -hmm. 
and kiss them goodbye. That's very hard. <laughs> and so I had to struggle mm. with that before we ever came to right. Uganda. You know, the way the King James Version puts it mm -hmm. was, unless you hate your mother, father, brother, sister, even one's own children, mm -hmm. you cannot be my disciple. Wow. And I remember having a conversation with God. Because, you see, we don't hear this kind of talk anymore. Mm -hmm. Everybody's too concerned. If we talk like this, nobody's going to want to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. It's too difficult. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember saying, God, what kind of God could you be that you could ask me to hate my own children? Mm -hmm. I, I, I remember saying very clearly, I don't know if I want to serve a God like that. Yeah. If that's the way you are, God. That's your expectation. Yeah. If, yeah. That's what you, if that's what you require of me, sorry, I think I'll go <laughs> serve myself. And I... Gary was away, and when he came back, I said, help me understand, what does this mean? Mm. And he helped me to understand, it doesn't mean you hate your children. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you hate your mother, father, your brother and sisters. What it means is this. It means that you love Jesus more than them. Okay. That's what it means. Mm -hmm. And I think that if the generation today could fall in love with Jesus more than they're in love with themselves, more than they're in love with their plans, their purposes, their relationships, their friends, mm -hmm. if they could love Jesus more. Mm -hmm. You know what? God's blessing would break upon them. They would fulfill, they would far exceed their dreams mm -hmm. and those things that they've hidden away in their heart that they'd hoped to do with their life. Yeah. So when, when we came to Uganda, I had already taken those things and kiss them yeah. goodbye. But you had explained to the kids, we're going here Yes, and here. but they, you know, children, a four-year-old doesn't mm. understand this, danger. Yeah. Do they understand war? <laughs> we're taking you into a war zone. They're like, okay. Well, what's a war zone? <laughs> I, I, we don't know what that is. But you know, whenever you make a decision mm -hmm. to surrender something to Jesus, mm -hmm. he's always going to test your surrender. Mm. Always, always, really always, always. We'd only been here three months Gary was away in Kenya. Mm -hmm. I was all alone with our kids. They were four, six, and eight. We had no security bars on our house. Um, and, you know, back then, arms of gang men used to roam the streets at night. Yeah. They'd break into houses. They'd rape the women. They'd kill Still. the men. They'd do all kinds of stuff. It was mostly the army that was doing it. So anyways, we had a gardener who, when Gary was away, he worked in the yard. He would not work in the daytime, but he would just guard the house at night. He right. had a bow and arrow. And about 11 o'clock at night, he came and knocked on my bedroom window and he said, Mommy, they've cut your electricity. And that's what they do, cut the mains transformers in areas so everything was in darkness. And I didn't get too worried because that happened every Many couple times. nights. Mm. But then about 30 minutes later, he came back and knocked on the window and he said, Mommy, they've come. And there's many of them. Mm -hmm. So I told him to run because I knew they would just kill him. So he ran, jumped the fence. I got the kids hid them underneath my bed. And I don't know where I got the strength from, but I can tell you adrenaline is a drug and it worked. And I dragged chairs, chairs from the sitting room into my bedroom and I barricaded myself in the bedroom. And for three hours, 25 men tried to break down a simple wooden door that I could have broken down myself and I'm they failed. could not get through. I could hear them. They were pounding on the door. They were saying, you open. We're going to kill you. We're going to rape you. Open. Then I could hear them back up and they would all try to rush the door but they couldn't get through. I'm not going to tell you I wasn't scared. I was terrified. I had one thing on my mind. I cannot wait for the man of God to get home. And when he gets home, I'm going to give him a piece of my yep. mind. We are not He's going to get this. it. 
you know, you know, we're women, and eh? we play the scenes out yes. in our mind. He was going to drive the car down the driveway, roll the window down, and expect me to come out like I do and give him a big kiss. Welcome back, honey. Yeah, but I was going to come out with my hands on my hips and say, Gary, what kind of a crazy man could bring a wife and three kids to a place like this? You need your head red. They have a word for you in, Uga- in Uganda. It's called Mulalu. They even have a place that is ready for you. It's called Habakkuk. Here we go. <coughs> That's what oh I was going to word. do. But you know, I heard a voice. Mm. I heard a voice. It was an audible voice. And it said, get up, girl. Yeah. Get up. I didn't bring you to Uganda to be paralyzed by fear. Mm. I brought you here for a purpose. Yeah. And I had to make a choice mm-hmm. again. Just like I had to choose to take the things dear and kiss them goodbye. Yeah. I had to choose. Was my fear going to be stronger than my faith? Mm-hmm. Was my faith going to be stronger than my fear? And I chose to believe that if Jesus could keep 25 men out of a simple wooden door that I could break down myself, there's nothing in this world he cannot do. You know, the amazing thing is this. That night before I went to bed, I was reading in my Bible, and it wasn't just like I opened to any random part and said, oh God, speak to me today. Mm -hmm. I was reading. (coughs) Sorry. And this is what I read in Mm -hmm. Isaiah. Behold, they shall surely gather together against you, Mm. but not by me. And whoever gathers together against you will fall for my name's sake, Mm -hmm. because I'm the one that has created the smith that makes the weapons and fans the flames, but no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. So in my spirit was that word, they're not going to get through. They're not going to get through. Jesus will stop them. And you know, as I look back, that was what, almost 40 years ago. As I look back, it's Desert Island Discs, and for these past two Sundays, we've been privileged to have a couple. I chose for them not to be in the same room or the same <laughs> interview, just to hear the different perspectives. I was right. Today we have Marilyn Skinner, and you, you, your choice was Bamuita Yesu. So over time, of course, you've interacted with our music, and I think you're more Ugandan than you are anything now at this point. Um, that story is is a. It's really good hindsight for us to know that the story isn't just what the Watoto we see today and all the success. And yeah. It started from scratch, literally. And uh, there was a mention that you started in Imperial mm-hmm. Hotel in small hall and then progressed to, you know, the churches and growth. How did, especially I'm asking a doer, how did the growth and the decisions and everything come about? Because today you've built great systems of great church and but that came from piece by piece by piece, you know. That came by piece by piece by piece. That came by choosing to do your best mm-hmm. every step of the way, you know. I'm sure Gary probably already told you how we started in the Imperial Hotel, the Crystal Suite. It wasn't Imperial, it wasn't, it wasn't Crystal, it wasn't <laughs> it was a Suite. suite. <laughs> it, um, you know, there were no electrical cables. Mm-hmm. He had told me when we left Canada, now you know, we're coming to start a church, so the clothes will be few in the bags and the suitcases, but we need a sound system for the church. Oh, so wow. we brought a sound system okay. with us in our suitcase, but we got here and there were no electrical sockets to mm. plug the sound system in. So he actually showed me how you hotwire things together. There were, <laughs> there were no light bulbs. We had to get our own light bulbs. There were no chairs. No chairs in the Imperial Hotel. We had to air freight in wow. 400 chairs from London and chain them to the water pipes every Sunday so people didn't steal them. But, you know, I believe that we are created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the attributes of God is he's an excellent God. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do cheap stuff. 
-hmm. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do just anyhow. He's not sloppy. He's organized. He's, mm -hmm. I just look at your body, how mm -hmm. organized your body is. And I believe that because we're created in his image, we are created to be reflectors of that creativity, of that excellence, the organization. of the organization mm -hmm. of all of that. Um, yeah, so we just we started doing the best we, mm -hmm. we could. You know, back then you didn't have all the high-tech things like you have today when you have a service, but we would photocopy. We brought a photocopier with us in our suitcase <laughs> too and a typewriter, and we would make like song sheets so people could <laughs> sing songs. Mm -hmm. And we just, we just started step by step, keeping one step in front of the other, mm -hmm. one step in front of the other, one step in front of the other. Were there some things that happened, even if it was um, people blocking progress or anything that might have discouraged you at some point where you thought, okay, this is getting harder. <laughs> Two steps in front, one step back. Well, I think that the, the, the political situation was mm. one thing that really was a deterrent. You know, we had outgrown the Imperial Hotel after two years, and God led us to the building that we're in now, Norman Cinema. It was the largest auditorium in the country yeah. at the time. And, you know, I remember walking in for the first time, roof leaked so badly when it rained, you needed an wow. umbrella to stay dry. All the seats were ripped and torn, the screen was ripped and torn. And as we walked in through those side doors, Gary cried out, Oh God, what a waste of a beautiful building. Mm. And then he had a vision, and he didn't see it the way it was, mm -hmm. he saw it the way it could be. Mm. And I think that that principle mm. is what has helped us stay the path for 40 years in Uganda, not seeing things the way they are, yeah. but seeing things not just the way they could be, but the way they should they be. They should be. And even when I look around now, mm -hmm. things aren't the way they could be, <laughs> okay. and things aren't the way they should be. Mm -hmm. We knew that we were supposed to have that building, Mm -hmm. But the army was occupying that building, using, using it as a detention center. When they would catch Museveni's men, the rebels, they'd bring them to that building, kill them, torture them in that building. There was no way we were going to get that building. Wow. And so you're asking about a deterrent where you thought, you know, maybe this isn't the right, yeah, it's not the right time. It's not yeah. going to happen. You know, we prayed. Mm -hmm. One month, no answer. Two months, no answer. Six and was, months, so you hadn't put in a request to... Yeah, six months, no answer. We still couldn't get that building. Seven months. And during this whole time, the political situation is getting worse, worse and worse and worse. Nine months, ten months, our mission came to us and they said, maybe you need to leave. Mm. You know, maybe you need to consider... One, an older missionary said, you know, I'll pay for you guys to go to Zimbabwe and start <laughs> a church like KPC in yeah, Zimbabwe. Yeah. It's safe there. And... One day, the American ambassador came to our house, mm. and he said, Mr. Skinner, I can't tell you you need to leave Uganda, but you need to seriously ask yourself, why are you here? Okay. He said, I've sent my family out. I've sent my staff out. I'm remaining only with Marines to guard me. He said, I've got grenades and guns. Gary, do you have grenades and guns in your house? <laughs> and we're like, no. I was standing behind Gary saying, listen to the ambassador, yeah. because God has sent a prophet to our house he today. <laughs> and so... You know, coming back to the same old thing, a desire mm. to put Jesus first and to mm -hmm. seek first his kingdom and yeah. his righteousness and his will and his way. We got down on our knees and we prayed at this point. Mm -hmm. This was one year after we first found Norman Cinema. We said, God, if you want us to go, we will leave. Okay. But if you want us to stay, we will count the cost. We will pay the price, even if it's our own life. Mm -hmm. And we will stay to be obedient to you. Mm -hmm. I didn't like God's answer. I was convinced in my mind that he was going to say, oh, yes, you've been two years go. already. <laughs> go to Zimbabwe. <laughs> I want to work there. 
But God said, no, I don't want you to go. Mm-hmm. I want you to go and ask the army if you can use that building for two weeks. When you go in, you won't go out. Okay. So we went to the army and we asked them if we could use the building for two weeks. Mm-hmm. We told them we'd paint it, we'd clean it. And I think the idea of free paint appealed to them. Now, the people in the church knew we'd been praying for this building for one year. Mm-hmm. Gary goes back to the Imperial Hotel on Sunday and said, praise God, he's given us the building. But he didn't tell them it was only for two <laughs> weeks. The army showed up at our house in Kansanga. And they said, Mr. Skinner, we hear you're trying to take away our building oh. from us. But we want you to know we have ways of dealing with people like you. Wow. We had secretly hired a lawyer to find out who does this building really belong, belong to? to. Because President Abote had said that he was going to return the Indians' property to them. And, you know, some properties was already in the process of being returned to the Asians mm-hmm. who a man had taken it away from. So we had this lawyer in the middle of the night. A gang showed up at the lawyer's house. Mm-hmm. They literally axed him to death and made his pregnant wife watch. Oh, I'm sorry, what? They axed him to death in the middle of the night. We got a message the next morning he's been murdered and his pregnant wife was made to watch. And we think they were just trying to give us a message. You're next if you don't leave our building alone. So he got closer to the truth. And so we said to the army, hey, we only want to use it for two weeks. That's it. To make a long story short. In the middle of that two weeks, when we were having special meetings after we'd cleaned and painted it, Museveni marched into Kampala, January 1986. All the soldiers that had literally threatened our lives ran for their lives. They left us in that building, and we've never left. God miraculously gave us that building, January Independence Day, (laughs) 1986. Wow. What a God, eh? Yes. What a God. He never fails. No. Babu Yita Yesu. Wow, wow, wow. What a turn of events. Because yeah. you, wouldn't, you couldn't have seen that We, we couldn't have seen that happen. We no. couldn't have seen it. Never in a million years. Oh, my I was, I was um, you know, I used to play the keyboard, and so we were having these special meetings. Military coup was happening at the time, so you had to be home by 7. Yes. So all our meetings were at noon hour. So I was playing the keyboard, and I looked out into the parking lot, and there were thousands of soldiers in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. We had maybe 50 people in the in the building mm-hmm. and so I was trying to get Gary's attention the party left the party <laughs> left the soldiers so he looked out and he just told me keep playing keep playing keep wow. playing he dismissed the meeting drove our car inside to which is now the in the reception mm-hmm. and we stayed there for a couple hours and then he said okay we gotta go home now mm-hmm. I'm like how are we getting home there's a military coup taking place the soldiers are roaming the streets mm-hmm. they're like ripping people out of their cars they're shooting them in the streets they're yeah. they're bashing the petrol stations mm-hmm. open these were Bote's men trying to flee so we got in our car and he painted a Canadian flag on the side of the car <laughs> and we were driving down Kampala Road and as the soldiers would try to stop us they'd have their machine guns and they'd be like Gary would just go salute like, and they would stand to their feet and they just saluted him back and so this might have happened 20 times from the Kampala <laughs> all the way out to Kansanga. Smart I think man. they thought he was, and he had a flag that he'd made out of a pillowcase. Wow. And so wow. on the radio antenna, he had this flag, <laughs> this Canadian flag, saluting all these soldiers, and they go, salute back. And we got home. Wow. For three days, helicopters are flying over, you know, dropping bombs and things like that. Out. And so then, <coughs> three days, you know, the Museveni is into town, and Gary's like, I got to go see the building to make sure, you know, what's going on there. Everything is good. And so he leaves me at home and he drives into town and there were no other cars on the street. He was Mm -hmm. the only car. And as you go up, um, 
you know where quality cuts is now. Yeah. Well, there were soldiers. They had like like you see in the movies, leaves over them, and they're shooting at each other across the street. But he just kept driving. Whoa. Gets to the building, and Pastor Chris was in the building, but he wouldn't open the door to let him in. So he had to turn around and drive <laughs> all the way back home. But once you know the war was over, and God miraculously gave mm. us that building. Wow. Till today. Till today. What a story. So yeah. we would come there to pray and worship and would never know. You'd never know. The story and the history never, to Never, never, never know in a million years. The state that the building was in, the physical work that Gary and I personally did. It those, clearly didn't look like what we see now. Those toilets were backed up <laughs> so badly. Gary literally put his hand down toilets that were totally backed up. When we got home to our house and you get in consigned, I made him strip naked of all of his clothes and walk in and I burnt the clothes that he'd used to clean the toilets the first time. Wow. It's it's such a selfless calling. Do you not, because we're still human. We are human. I I get the times you're like, okay, at this point, I thought we should really go and, you know, but it's such a selfless service and role that sometimes it feels, I don't know if it's isolated or draining, which which more than the other? I think a little bit of both. Yeah. I think, you know, you you do feel very isolated. Mm. Um, You feel isolated from your family. You feel isolated from the people that look like you. Mm -hmm. You feel isolated from your friends. But you, we actually, there were many times we felt isolated from everybody except each other. Wow. Because, you know, Ugandans, they didn't know where we came from. Mm -hmm. They, you know, this was life. You've grown up with this. But when you're suddenly immersed in this, it's very different. So very isolating. But also, it's also very draining physically. There were, you know, many years, many, when we couldn't go to sleep at night Mm -hmm. because of the danger. To go to sleep 100% asleep at night could cost you your life, literally. Wow. Because um, they'd be shooting over our roof, they'd be shooting in the streets, and, you know, your parents will all have the stories. Every mm. Your parents' generation all have the stories that yeah. they can tell. So for you to fall sound asleep, I mean, if somebody came, that could be the end of sound it. Sound sleep was a luxury. It was a luxury. So even to this day, we still struggle with sleep, and I think it's because of many years of staying awake one and eye open. just became so used to it. <laughs> wow, one so, eye open literally. But, but you know, um, I talked to you about Luke, how it says you have to take the things dearest and best to you and kiss them goodbye. Yes. You know, the word of God is true and either we believe it or we don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And you know, that same portion of scripture is Peter coming to Jesus because the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he wanted what the disciples had. He mm. wanted to be a disciple. So Jesus told him, here's what you got to do. Got to take everything you have, sell it and give it to the poor. Mm-hmm. And I find it very interesting that Jesus didn't ask everybody to do that. He only asked the rich young ruler to do that because he knew what had the rich young ruler's heart. And sadly, the rich young ruler could not do that. He couldn't pay the price. He couldn't take everything he had, give it to the poor. Mm-hmm. And so Peter comes to Jesus and he goes, but Jesus, we left everything. Master, mm-hmm. we've left everything everything to follow you what are you going to do about it yeah and do you know what jesus said to him peter cool your jets calm down boy Mm -hmm. calm down because whoever sacrifices for me or my message will never lose out Mm -hmm. in this life or the life to come and then he goes on to say whatever you have sacrificed for me or my message will be restored to you 
and multiplied many times over mm -hmm. in this life and the life to come. So what did we sacrifice? You know, we had isolation. We sacrificed friends. Mm -hmm. We sacrificed family. We sacrificed position. We sacrificed popularity. My husband could have been the pastor of one of the largest churches in the entire world, anywhere in the world, mm -hmm. with the skills and the giftings that God has given him. He could, have, he could have gone to any country, whether it's New York, Sydney, Australia, Bangkok, Thailand, and he could have planted and grown through the anointing of the Holy Spirit a significant ministry that would have touched the entire world. Okay, mm -hmm. But he chose to come here to Uganda yeah. because that's what God had for us. And... So we sacrificed all of those things, but here we are 40 years later, and everything we have sacrificed has been restored and multiplied over many times <laughs> in this life. I honestly believe that we are the best, the most blessed people in the planet. Mm -hmm. But you see, it all comes down to faith, mm. doesn't it? It all comes down to trust and obedience yeah. and faith in Jesus. You know, I, I find the book of Ecclesiastes the most depressing book in the Bible. <laughs> Because Why here's a man who had everything, mm -hmm. wisdom, wealth, wives. What more could you ever want for? There's been nobody like Solomon, ever, not before, not since. He has it all, but what does he do? He squanders everything that he was given, every opportunity. Mm -hmm. And at the end of his life, in Ecclesiastes, he's saying, what was it all for? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. What was all of this for? Mm -hmm. Nothing. It was for nothing. And then he says, these things. He said, out of my whole life, this is what I've learned. There's two important things, and this is what you must do. Mm -hmm. Number one, fear God. Mm -hmm. And number two, do what he says. Obedience. Obedience. Uh. Fear. That doesn't mean, oh, I'm so afraid of you, but that means you're so in awe of him, of mm -hmm. who he really is. And when you get an understanding and a revelation of who Jesus is, Yes, he's my friend. Mm -hmm. He's my best friend. He's my confidant. He's everything. But I fear him. Yeah. Eh? I fear I'm in awe of him. I'm mm -hmm. amazed at him. Right? So for anybody listening to this show, you want to be successful in life. You want to be prosperous. Because really, there's nobody more prosperous. Prosperity isn't just the amount of money you have in a bank account. Yeah. Or the kind of car you have or how many cars you have. Mm -hmm. Prosperity is a wholeness of body, soul, and mm -hmm. spirit of all of those things. And I believe that Gary and I are probably two of the most prosperous people wow. on the entire planet. Why? I do believe that. Mm -hmm. There's people that have far bigger houses, that have way more cars, that have a lot more money in their bank account. But in but your here, hearts, here you we believe sit, it. Blessed. Blessed. Envied by so many. That's what <laughs> blessed really means. Yes. To be envied by many. For blessed. someone to look at your life and yeah. believe. And say, wow, wow, yes. wow, blessed. But we learned those secrets when we were young. Fear God and do what he says. Wow. What's your third song choice, Marilyn? My third song choice is All My Life You Have Been Faithful. Mm. Your goodness is running after, running mm. after me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's Desert Island This and that was C.C. Winans, a song that's quite popular because probably the words speak to a lot of us um, and the circumstances that we've been through in life. You tell the story much deeply. You paint the picture much clearer, honestly. 
and I think I, in the beginning I was quite scared, but you also know how to put the fear and then comfort back, which leads me to ask the question, I mean, when you plant a church, and I'm not speaking from experience clearly, but I would assume because what you're what I do is speak, it's communicate, so I can clearly see what that is. What you do is to restore, because the message that you're preaching or whatever you're giving is restoring something in people. And when you said when we first got here, I could see the, the hopelessness in people's eyes. But over the years, you've transformed KPC or Toto into a, a, a platform that has... Marilyn, I want to ask about really what you do and how over time you've understood what to do because planting a church or having that community as Watoto or KPC then you are restoring people's hope, people's faith, people's you know, just teaching and you came into a country which it's not what it was, you know, what it is today is not what it was then. You came to, as you said we were hopeless. You could look into the eyes and just see that they had just given up. There was war, there was change of God, there was, you know, the economy was shifting. There's a lot happening at the same time. How do you then choose where to put your energy? <laughs> How do you choose that, you know, Gary and I will pour ourselves and our message into this part of, of you know, for the country? How do you even choose that if we restore this part of people, it will help, you know, cascade into the rest? How? Well, I think that planting churches is a buzzword today. Yeah. It's a cool thing. Everybody likes to brag about how plant many a churches church. I plant. <laughs> it's almost like church in a box. Here's a formula for planting a church and for growing your church mm -hmm. very, very quickly. Yeah. And I've seen so many people in the last 10 years, maybe 15 years, all, you know, they attend these church, church planting seminars, these mm. church growth seminars, all trying to find what is the formula for planting a church. Mm. I'll tell you something. There's actually no formula for planting a church. Mm -hmm. I don't care how much money you have <laughs> or how many seminars you yeah. go to. This is what I've learned. This is what it takes to plant a church. Yeah. It takes, number one, living by faith. Mm -hmm. And faith is a strong belief in the supernatural power of Jesus Christ that controls human destiny. Yeah. Planting a church takes, number two, leaning on his presence. There is no substitute for the presence of Jesus you know, you can create an atmosphere, mm -hmm. you can create an environment, but you cannot create the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And when the presence of the Holy Spirit shows up, then everything changes because people are drawn to the that. presence of Jesus. Mm. You talked about hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the solution to hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Jesus' presence dispels hopelessness mm -hmm. and replaces it with fear. The third thing I've learned about planning a church is not only do you have to, to walk by faith and lean on his presence, but you have got to walk in patience. You can never get up, give up. You just got to keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always said in my life, I don't want to be remembered as a quitter. Mm -hmm. I don't want written on my tombstone, quitter, mm -hmm. quitter. You know what I want written on my tombstone? She stated her post. And if we're going to do anything significant in life, whether it's planning a church, mm -hmm. whether it's planting a business, whether it is taking a degree, whether it's having your job, you've just got to walk in patience and never give up. But the fourth important thing I've learned is that you've got to labor in love. Okay. That is so important. 
love. Love is what the world needs. Mm -hmm. Everybody is craving love. In the first interview, why, you asked me, why do you think I am the way I am? Mm -hmm. It's because the love that I received from my earthly parents, the love that I received from my Heavenly Father, and I decided I need to be a conduit of that love. Mm -hmm. And the last thing in planning a church is you've got to leave a legacy. Yeah. You know, an inheritance is something you leave to somebody. A legacy is something you leave in somebody. Mm -hmm. So in planting with Toto Church. Mm -hmm. We didn't go read a book. This is what you've got to do, A, B, C, D. This is what works. We got down on our knees and we said, God, what do you want us to do? What is the need? Actually, if you are planting a church, your role is to meet the need of your community. Mm -hmm. So what are the needs? So when we first came here, the need was for hope to be restored yeah. into the hearts and the minds of a whole generation of people mm -hmm. because you can never accomplish anything if you're hopeless yep. you'll stay a victim all your life you got to get out of that victim mentality and it's only hope that can do that so how are we going to restore hope to the hopeless by bringing people to encounter the most hopeful mm -hmm. person on the planet his presence and so then you know what people began to come mm -hmm. 75 people the first service, you know, 250 people after a year till eventually, you know, you're 35, 37,000 people today. All of those people have had hope restored, mm -hmm. right? But then there was other needs. You see, you can, you can, you can become satisfied. Okay, I've done my job. Mm -hmm. I've restored hope by just having gatherings yeah. every week, right? You know, I also learned from the book, book of Luke. He was a smart man, that, this Luke. <laughs> There's trouble ahead when you think you've made it. Because what you have is all you'll ever get. Mm -hmm. So, you know, had we just started the church and continued to do church the way everybody knows church it, to yeah. be done, when there were other needs mm -hmm. in the community. What was the need that was facing Uganda? HIV, AIDS. Mm -hmm. 25 million people, 2 million children orphaned as a result. I'd say that's a pretty big need. Yeah. That's 10% of the population left without mom and dad, right? Mm -hmm. So, how are you going to restore hope to them? Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to leave it up to the government? Are you going to leave it up to the United Nations? Are you going to leave it up to World Without Orphans? I don't think that's what Jesus would have us do. <coughs> Sorry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Jesus spoke to Gary again. Not only did he say, go start a church downtown. Through that church, I'll touch the city and the nation. That's a word from God. But he said, I want you to look after my children. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to just give them food, clothing, shelter, and education, but I want you to disciple, raise for me the next generation of Ugandan leaders. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we began to, how do we do that? I don't know. I didn't get it. We didn't get a book. We didn't go, okay, so now we're supposed to look after orphans. Well, how here's do we a do template that? of how, you know, just fill in the pieces. We didn't do that. Mm. We, you know what we did? We went to the, to the word of God and Gary was reading in Psalm 68 and it said, extol him that rides on the heavens by his name, Yah. Mm -hmm. And that's about, you know, coming together and gathering together in worship and celebrating the awesomeness, the goodness, the greatness of God. Let's extol him. Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. But the very next verse says, the father of the fatherless is he in his holy dwelling place. Mm -hmm. He sets the lonely in families. And that was like, hey, that's what we're supposed to do. Is that how the children? Yeah, we're supposed okay. to set okay. the lonely in families. And as we began thinking about it and talking about it and being open to God, we felt God say, I don't want you to put them in an institution where they're a number. 
I want you to put them in a family oh. where they're a name with a face and a future. Right. And I mean, God's given us all creativity, so how are we going to do that? What does a family live in? A home. A home. Okay. So let's build a home. We started out with just one small, simple home. Mm -hmm. So what does a home have? Are you going to have child-headed households? No. You've got to find a mother somewhere, mm -hmm. right? And so slowly by slowly, God, in his sovereignty and mm -hmm. his creativity, unveiled the plan for Watoto Villages. Mm. And so what did we do? Because we feared him, we were obedient, and we followed that plan. Today, people, you know, they think it's a formula. This is the formula for looking after orphans. No, it's not. You know, God could have a different formula today. Yeah. The need today is not orphans the way it was 25 years ago, mm -hmm. 30 years ago. Hey, there were no antiretroviral drugs back then. We have my dear friend got, got HIV, and the antiretroviral drugs were $1,500 a month to keep her alive here wow. in Uganda. I mean, who could afford that? No. We're talking not 25 years person, ago. Yeah. Very few people could afford mm -hmm. that. But now with access to ARVs, how good is God? Your goodness is running after running after me. How good is God that yeah. ARVs are accessible so that people who are infected mothers can stay alive to raise their own mm -hmm. children. But does that mean there was no more hopelessness or no more challenges or problems in Uganda? No. One day I felt God say to me, you know, it's usually Gary that God speaks to. Go do this. And then he comes to me and says, okay, now you go do it. Come to Uganda. Okay, help me build a church. Yeah. Okay, start a choir. Okay, how do I do that? Yeah. All right. I really felt God say to me, sweetie, don't get too comfortable. Mm -hmm. Don't get too comfortable. And the truth of the matter is, is I had actually gotten comfortable. Mm -hmm. We had maybe 3,000 orphans we were looking after mm -hmm. at the time. I don't know, we built maybe 400 homes, and I was actually quite comfortable with yeah, like it. Like we've done well. Yeah, we know, I know how to do it. Formula, my formula's mm -hmm. here, this is how you do it. And I felt him say, there's something, there's something else that I want you to do. I want you to begin to restore dignity to Uganda's most vulnerable women. Mm -hmm. Because I realized, you know, the most desperate, the most needy, the most hurting people in Africa are her women. They actually bear the brunt. They bear the brunt of poverty. They bear the brunt of war. They bear the brunt of disease. They're left there, and many yeah. of them just suffer all on their own. Okay? And I felt him say, I, I want you to restore dignity to them. Mm -hmm. And it was like, restore dignity. How? Well, yeah. So it was restore hope to the others, now restore dignity. How do I do that, God? And I remember laying on my bed and saying, "Okay, God, you got to give me, you got to give me a plan. I don't have a <laughs> something." Plan. I only went to grade eleven. I could go get myself <laughs> a book, and I could say, "How do you restore dignity to vulnerable women?" Mm -hmm. I don't know. God, I cried out on my knees. God, give me. Do you believe that God's pouring out a spirit in the last days, and He can give visions and dreams? I believe that. Yeah. I believe we're living in the last days, and if we ask God for visions and dreams, He can do it. And I remember lying on my bed. And three words came into my mind. Embrace, empower, and engage. Mm -hmm. Embrace, empower, and engage. Embrace, empower, and engage. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that's what he wants me to do to these mm -hmm. women. He wants me to embrace them, empower them, engage them. Okay, that's one thing, so how do I do that? You know, I looked the word up, embrace. I thought it meant, oh, I just have to give them a give hug. Them a hug. No, that's going to do it. That's going to restore <laughs> dignity to them. Okay, now we're talking about women who have been seriously traumatized. Mm -hmm. We're talking about girls who have been abducted by Coney and forced to become sex slaves, forced to kill their own mothers and fathers and all the rest. Uh, you think, give you a hug, there you go, God bless you, go mm -hmm. on your way. Not going to work. 
I actually looked the word up in the dictionary embrace and it actually means to accept and to support mm-hmm. somebody willingly and enthusiastically. And I realized, God, you're calling me to accept these women mm-hmm. and to support them however I can, willingly mm-hmm. and enthusiastically. So what's that going to look like? It's not going to be just give them a hug and say bye. It goes on to the next one. How am I going to demonstrate that I accept them and I support them yeah. by empowering them? Mm-hmm. How am I going to do that, God? How am I going to empower? That's a word everybody likes to say, women empowered, mm. women empowered. I'm an empowered woman. What does that mean? So broad, right? Yeah. And so I started to do research because you don't just go blindly into things. You've got to be organized, eh? Okay, so I sent out teams. So, so what are the areas of vulnerability mm-hmm. with women? Before United Nations or other these people did these, what are the areas of vulnerability? Well, they're on the streets. Prostitution. Why? Well, because they can't read or write. Mm-hmm. If you can't read or write, you can't be employed because you don't know how to do anything with your hands. So the first thing was, okay, well, we got to teach them how to read and write. Mm-hmm. Once they learn to read and write, that's step number one of empowering to show that we've actually embraced them. So we called about 2,000 women together who could not read or write. They could not write their own name. Or if you showed them your watch, they couldn't tell you what time time. it was. They Mm. didn't have a clue. How can you ever have dignity like that? And so we started very simply teaching them to read, teaching them to write. If you go to our neighborhood center in Gulu, you will find a wall. And it may seem like a very insignificant wall. Mm -hmm. And it's got many, many names written on it. And those are women who, for the very first time in their life, could. 19, 20, 21 wrote their own name. Bless. It, it's beautiful. I don't ever want that wall to, <laughs> to come be down. washed off. Yeah. Right? And so, so we That's teach them to brilliant. read and write. Mm. And so, but reading and writing isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you can read and write. Go Where you go. God bless you. No. Mm-hmm. You're just sending them back into their, into their vulnerability, mm-hmm. into their poverty. So now what, we ha- what do we have to do? Well, we have to teach them how to live a sustainable life of dignity. Mm-hmm. Right? We have to do that. Empowerment yeah. has to do that. It can't be handout. Handouts don't work. Sustainable means yeah. they have to do it on their own, or they have to learn how to do yeah. something. On their You've own. heard it many times before. You know, handouts don't work. They need no, a hand up. So what you do, you have to teach them things. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to teach them? Well, skilling. Yeah, mm-hmm. skill. So we taught them how to raise pigs, how to make honey, how to make candles. We taught taught them how to sew. As many things as I could think of. I just kept saying, God, give me ideas. What kind of things can we do? Like, we can't have everybody doing the same thing. So it sounds like for you, everything sort of meets you when you need it. The answers and and the solutions and the tools. Before we go to your next song choice, there's um, an assumption uh, when people see... Gary and Marilyn Skinner and say, of course, these are rich people just pouring money <laughs> into things. But what Bototo is today has been largely built by probably people and, and, and um, all the other resources. But when you were starting out, you didn't have that. <laughs> you know, the one people saying, we'll offer this, we'll give this. How do you build a mission? Because if you were bringing a sound system in your suitcase and a couple of things that can't be easy and all the things needed money as much as mm-hmm. we needed hope and faith and it needed money yeah how does that even work you know provision always follows vision mm-hmm. it always does god will provide for the vision that he has given right. but it requires faith okay like i said a strong belief in the supernatural power of jesus christ like when when god told gary put a choir together take them all around the world Go and stand up and speak on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves. He comes to me and he tells me that. And I'm like, Gary, that's great. 
wonderful, thank you, Jesus, but did you know it cost money to take people <laughs> around the world? And because I had felt that I was to help my husband be everything he's supposed to be, I didn't want to discourage him yes. from what God was saying. And so I thought, how am I going to do this? So I said, okay, I'm going to go to British Airways, and I'm going to ask them to give us tickets on credit. And I mm-hmm. never thought for a moment British Airways would give us tickets on credit. They did. I was going to go back to Gary and say, you know what, it didn't work. I tried. I tried. It didn't work. <laughs> so I go to British Airways. I, we had about 30 orphans at the time that we were mm-hmm. looking after, 30 parentless children. I told them what we did. I shared the vision. Mm-hmm. I just shared the vision. That's all I did. I prayed before I went. And then I asked him to give us tickets for 25 people on credit. And he looked at me and he said, oh, I think I could do that. Oh, wow. <laughs> he said, where do you want to go? Yeah. The truth of the matter is, is I had not thought he was going to say yes. So, I had so you didn't even plan that. that. Yeah. And so I said, do you have a map? <laughs> and so if you're going to raise money, everybody knows what's the first country you're going to go to. America. America, yeah. He pulled out a map of America and Chicago looked like it was in the middle. So I said, we're going to Chicago. Oh, wow. We got on that plane. We didn't know where we were sleeping, what we were going to do, how we were going to get around. We didn't have any meetings. We had three meetings for a three-month tour. But we had made a little cassette tape. It was a cheap little tape, but we'd made it. I had gone to the market and bought some souvenirs, and I thought maybe people will buy these souvenirs. But God miraculously opened doors. All we had was our own personal credit card with a 3000 Canadian dollar credit limit <laughs> on it. That was it. So we had to have places to stay, or we didn't have food. Yeah. We had to have places to stay, or we'd starve, literally. Mm. We disassembled half the sound system from the church here, KPC. We took it with us on the plane, and God miraculously opened doors for us. We went to the UK first, and we would do schools, three, four Mm. schools a day. Gary always believes you do things excellently. Even if there were only 25 kids, he made us set the entire sound system up and do it as if it was 5,000 people. And then we would go back to the local Anglican churches at night, and people would come. People were getting saved. The offerings weren't many, Mm -hmm. but... We were being obedient. We just trusted God for meeting to meeting, meal to meal, literally. We went up to Brighton to do a holiday camp, and there were more of us on the stage than there were in the audience. Wow. Vicar stands up at the end, and he says, we're so happy to have the Wichita Children's Choir here today. They're going to be at the back with baskets, and if you'd like to put some coins in the basket, we're going to pay for our holiday camp and give them what's left over. And my heart is like, I've got $35,000 worth of bills at British Airways, and he wants to give us coins. <laughs> and there was £2.50 in the offering. £2.50. That's okay. what they gave us. And Not I re- 2000 No, £2.50. Okay. And I thought, what can we do with £2.50? I can't even go to Starbucks and buy myself a coffee. But we went and we opened a bank account and deposited £2.50 and recorded <laughs> it in our book. We went back and we did another school the next morning. And there were two little Muslim boys, and when Gary started speaking, they started crying. Mm. And it was like God said, you think you're here for the money. That's not why you're here. Mm. This is why you're here. You worry about the ministry. Let me look after the money. Mm. And at that point, we said, okay, God, we will never worry about the the money again, only Mm. the ministry. We go on to the U.S. for six weeks, bought an old yellow school bus. The first meeting we had we sold $10,000 worth of those cheap little tapes that we'd made. Wow. And the church offering was 30000 U.S. dollars. We've never had an offering like that, probably before or since. And I'm like, oh, we can pay for our tickets, hallelujah. <laughs> we took some of the sales from the tape, and we went and bought ourselves an old yellow school bus. And Gary was the bus driver, and we went wherever the Holy Spirit led us. Mm. But out of that tour, 
out of that tour, we were able to build our first six homes. We were faithful wow. with the two pounds fifty. We built our first six homes at what we call the Olive Gardens by Macquarie University. Mm-hmm. And about four years ago, five years ago, a woman came from Scotland to visit us. And we have decided that everybody will be treated the same. We don't want to know your financial background. Mm-hmm. You know what? All we're going to do is share vision because provision follows vision. vision. We don't ask for money. We don't beg for money. Never, ever, ever. You know what? God knows what we need and he'll give it to us just when we need it. So this lady comes. She looks like a normal person. We take her around like we do everything, everybody else. And at the end, she said, Gary, could I speak to you privately for a few minutes in your office? Mm-hmm. So she comes into his office and she goes, um... I have quite a bit of money right now. She said, would it be okay if I gave you a million pounds? Pounds. <laughs> pounds. And wow. the first thing that came to my mind was, you worry about the ministry. Let I'll me look after the money. money. Two pounds fifty. Had we not been faithful with the provision for that moment was two pounds And 50. you banked the two pounds fifty. You were, you were the brave. Two pounds fifty. <laughs> they thought we were nuts coming in. <laughs> you were <brave>. Two pounds fifty. <laughs> But you see, how, do, how does God provide? He provides yeah. supernaturally out of your faith and out of wow. your obedience. Wow, wow, wow. What's and, your, yes. Go ahead. No, what's, what's your next song choice? Because I'm like, a, a million what? Also, also you banged two pounds two 50. Pounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next song choice was my favorite song when I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. And it says, Jesus use me and oh Lord, don't refuse me. Because surely there's a work that I can do. And even if it's humble, help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Oh, how lovely. And I love that you're giving us the songs in lyrics form. It's just, it's brilliant. (laughs) Thank you so much. Are we still good? Because we're going for the last segment, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Desert Island Discs and we have Marilyn Skinner. You, help me understand. Could you speak to somebody who does not believe in Allah, Christ, or define what that is, um, but restore some sense of acceptance of their life and hope in them without necessarily having to trigger them into that one direction. Uh, Or are they together? Because I find that the message of of, of God, of Jesus, is is, is of hope, is of faith, is of belief, is of... Of, of finding some rest, leaning on something. Yeah. Is there a way to have a conversation with someone for them to see that without necessarily them being defined well, as Christian or something? Yeah. Or? We all have a worldview. Mm. Uh, there's three basic worldviews in life. There's the yeah. Christian worldview, the theistic, theistic worldview. Yeah. There's the atheist worldview. Mm-hmm. They don't believe in God or anything at all. And there's the secularist worldview. We all have a worldview. And our worldview shapes who we are. Yeah. Our worldview shapes our hope or our hopelessness. Mm-hmm. If the atheist, the fool, has said in his heart, there is no God. Eh? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you believe there's no God. That's your worldview. Everything you have is going to be shaped by that. You're going to be shaped by um, fear. You're going to be shaped by so many different things. Mm. The, you know, the animus. You're going to be shaped by animism where everything is just by chance. Mm. Okay, so you know what? Whatever will be, will be. That's yeah. what it's going to be. doesn't matter. Yeah. I have no control over that. The, the secularist, I am God. There is no God. What's God for me? What's right for me? Mm-hmm. May not be right for you. Yeah. To truly 
I have to come back to my worldview. Mm, that's all that I can right. do. That's all that I can it. do. It's your worldview. I have view. to come back to my worldview. And so if you're to talk to somebody, you're speaking from that perspective yeah. of your worldview. So it, it Yeah, that, your, that makes sense. Your hope is based on your worldview in life. Sense. And my worldview is based on Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, mm -hmm. God created heaven and the earth and everything that is in it. And so because I believe that God created, mm -hmm. I believe his word. And his word lays out principles for my life where I can live a prosperous, abundant, mm -hmm. whole, blessed life. You know, the worldview of the Islamist is that his God is an angry God. Mm. Therefore, you've got to be a tool of anger. You know, jihad, that's what it is. God is always going to be angry with you. You have to earn your way with him where our God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of love. He's a God of compassion. You know, Gary shared a series, you know, the, the God of the people will actually become the God of the community. Mm. And the character of the God of the people or the character of the God of your worldview, because every worldview has a God. Yeah. They do. Every worldview has mm. a God. And the character of the God of your worldview will become your character mm -hmm. and will become the character of all the people oh, that what, are in your community. Yeah. What governs how you, you see things. And so when you look at the Christian worldview, our God is a God of peace. Mm -hmm. He's a God of joy. He's a God of love. He's a God of long-suffering, of faithfulness, of forgiveness, of abundance, of prosperity, of blessing, of good. I mean, I can go on and on <laughs> and on, right? Yeah. Talk to us about the transition, which is probably the biggest thing that's being talked about now. First of all, did it surprise you that people are finding it odd? <laughs> that, <laughs> they're like, why? Why is that happening? Uh, I think so. I, I think it surprised me, whereas it seems a natural thing yes. for me. This transition seems a very natural thing for me. Mm. Because I look at myself, Gary said they call you mama. Yeah. I'm mother of KPC. Yes. So what does a mother do? She brings forth children. Nurtures she raises her mm. children. And what does the mother want her children to do? To rise up mm. and to accomplish way more than she yes. ever could in her life. A mother, a good mother is going to sit back, her buttons bursting with pride <laughs> as her son and daughter excel mm. in things that she never excelled in. So we actually started with Toto Church with transition in mind. Mm. Steve Covey. Seven habits of highly effective people begin with the end, end in, in mind. mind yeah. So even when you're planting a church, when we started with Toto, mm -hmm. we began with the end in mind. What is right. the end in mind? We must have raised up leaders mm -hmm. that can not just run with the baton, but take it farther. It goes beyond you. Right? Mm -hmm. And so it's very natural. It was a very natural progression when you right. look at life as a family. You know, Gary's always said, church is not an event you go to. <laughs> it's a family that right. you belong to. So this, this transition is a very rewarding. Mm -hmm. That's the only word that I can use, yeah. rewarding. I don't feel sad. Yesterday, was, I was at Gary's office. I was packing up his office. Because mm. real transition, we don't have an office at church anymore. Wow. You know? we're, not, we're, not, we're not like some, pre some heads of state where you know they're no longer the president or the prime but minister. They're there. But they're actually controlling things mm. behind only because their constitution says that somebody else has to be the leader for a while. But they're actually pulling the strings. No, mm -hmm. that's not what this is all about. That's not what you would do to your children. Yeah. We have raised these people. And you know what? They're going to run with it. So I was there packing up his office and I think it kind of like 
hit me. Yeah, we're I leaving. really am done. I came home and I said to Gary, so when we come to church, where are we going to sit before the service starts? Where will goes, you sit? He says, we're going to sit up in the balcony. You get a really good view up oh, there. Oh, dear. <laughs> anywhere, really. You can sit anywhere. anywhere. really. And yeah. we, we enjoy going to all the different all the different celebration mm. points and rejoicing, yeah. rejoicing in what God has done. But then what happens now? And I mean, have you planned for this time of your life? Or, or is it, oh, you know, we'll just take coffee and just no, watch the sunset? No, we're not going to just take coffee and watch the sunset. You know, <laughs> we all have a divine destiny. God has a divine destiny for every single one of us. And that destiny has seasons to it, right? Mm. You know, I have my divine destiny. I wanted to walk out my divine destiny when I was a child to the best of my ability. Then as a teenager, then as a young mother, yeah. and then as a missionary in Zambia. That was my divine destiny for the time. Then when we came to Uganda, my divine destiny was there was two things. Plant an English-speaking church. It was actually three things. Plant an English-speaking church. Mm-hmm. Um, look after my children. Restore dignity to vulnerable women. And we can sit back and say, mission accomplished, mission accomplished mission accomplished but there's another divine destiny another season that is ahead another season that is ahead because we have too much energy energy to just sit and do nothing (laughs) you know my son said to me the other day we talked to him every day he's 47 years old he lives in australia he said you know what dad and mom just sit and rest and restore for a little while right now get yourselves back whole and healthy but you still have lots in you he said he said Maybe you're going to travel around the world and mm-hmm. you're going to encourage young pastors. He said, you're not even going to have to work for it because <laughs> all the things that you've worked for, all that wisdom is just going to be inside you. And yeah. It's just going to start coming out. He said, in the past, you had to sit down and you had to write messages. I got messages, a whole phone full mm. of them where you had to spend. So, you know, my son said to me the other day, you're not going to have to work for it anymore. You can just go and you can sit and talk to pastors or young leaders in any sphere of influence and all the life lessons all the wisdom that you've had, it's just going to come right out of you. And you can still continue to influence people. It will just be in a different season mm-hmm. and in a different way. So what is the next season to look like? My prayer, like I told you when I was nine years old, is still the same. Mm-hmm. Friday night, February the 3rd, we came home from that wonderful transition service where the presence of Jesus was so powerful. And, you know, we could not have hoped for anything better. And I got down in my bed, and this is what I said. Jesus, use me. Mm-hmm. And, oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Yes. Because surely in this season of my life, 70, there's a work that I can do. Mm-hmm. And even though all these great things have accomplished, yes. Lord, even though my next season may be humble, help my will to crumble. Mm. And though the cost is great, I'll still work for you. I feel like in, this, in the, the corporate world, they call that consultancy. You're going to start... You know, the consultancy season where you have so much knowledge busting and experience that now you can't help but just share. You pour out yeah. of that. Um, it's, it's really been beautiful listening to your story. And I asked your husband the same thing. But do you feel that at this point in your life there's fulfillment, contentment, there's that just silent peace in your heart? I think I am the most contented person on the planet Mm. and contentment is not based on what you have or what you don't have contentment is not based on what you've had (laughs) and no longer have yeah contentment is based on who you are and what your 
season in life is and you don't just accept it but you actually embrace it mm -hmm. you become truly contented interesting it's who you are not the work yeah. or the achievements we have been very blessed to see god do some miraculous things mm -hmm. miraculous things far above what we could have ever hoped or imagined in our wildest dreams we have been very blessed but i feel extremely contented with you with me mm -hmm. and with the love of my life <laughs> oh dear <laughs> he said so many great things about he's you he's a good man uh, he is what makes him a good man what makes him a good man is he's like jesus mm -hmm. that's what makes him a good man his character uh, his you character. did tell us not to follow the money or the cars yeah. or <laughs> his character Anyways. you know what his yes is yes mm -hmm. and his no is no mm -hmm. if gary skinner tells you i will do it you will do it right no excuses. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Marilyn, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you for spending time with us and thank you for showing us what selfless also looks like. Because sometimes there's a, you know, a picture of what we have about people who are selfless and serve. Bad days. Mm. And what do I do on my bad day? Mm -hmm. You want to know? Yeah. I asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because this is what the Word of God says. The mm -hmm. fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, mm -hmm. peace, okay. long-suffering. So on a day when I'm feeling impatient, I'm like, okay, <laughs> God, I need your Holy Spirit. Jesus never fails. The man of this world will let you down, mm -hmm. but Jesus never fails. Wow.